0: There's a passage in Deuteronomy that shapes the ministry of Jesus, the mission of Jesus, in so many different ways. One of the things, if you just go back and start reading through the Old Testament, is you discover God's foreknowledge coming through Over and over again. God looking down through history, looking into the hearts of his people, knowing exactly what they were going to do. God being God has the ability to do that. And one of the things that he said through Moses was this in Deuteronomy 4. He says, after you have had children and grandchildren and have lived in the land a long time. Talking about their crossing over the Jordan, conquering the promised land. Of course, Moses was not allowed to go over. Moses tells them, if you then become corrupt and make any kind of idol, doing evil in the eyes of the Lord your God and arousing his anger. And then he explains what's going to happen to them if they did that. The Lord will scatter you among the peoples, and only a few of you will survive among the nations to which the Lord will drive you. Put very simple, God's giving you this land. But if you go off after the idols of this land, God's going to scatter you out of the land. He's going to scatter you among the Gentiles. But, as God has always done, he says a few verses later, but if from there you seek the Lord your God, you will find him if you seek him with all your heart and with all of your soul. Now, I want you to keep that in mind, what God said was going to happen. You're going to go into idolatry. By the way, they did, horribly. Because of that, I'm going to scatter you, and he did, all over the Middle East. And then God says, I'm going to gather you back, but only a small number. In fact, that's one of the things that's quite fascinating. And so when Jesus comes, and Jesus goes down to Nazareth, we looked at this last week, Luke chapter 4. He goes to the synagogue, they give him the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, he unrolls it and announces the coming of the Messiah. And it's this beautiful text out of Isaiah 61 The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news. There it is good news to the poor, to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. A lot of language here is caught up in, in an Old Testament event called Jubilee, where God would cancel debts and he would set people free and he would kind of readjust society. That's the language that Jesus is using here. And having read it last week, we noticed that Jesus said today, right now, this Scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, what God had predicted through Isaiah all of those years ago is now being fulfilled. Now, here's what we need to see that's going on in the text. I think a lot of times we just don't spend a lot of time looking at it, and so it just kind of flies over our head. But coming out of the wilderness, Jesus had just been in the wilderness, and so he comes out of the wilderness in the power of the Spirit, and he begins the process of gathering what we call the remnant. In other words, God had said, I'm going to scatter you, but I am going to preserve from me a remnant of my people. Remnant means a, a remaining, usually small part, quantity, or number. Uh, a small surviving group. And, and that is what is fixing to take place through the mission of Jesus himself. Paul in Romans chapter 9 will grab a text out of Isaiah having to do with this very topic. Notice what he says. Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, though the number of the Israelites be like the sand by the sea, only a remnant will be saved. And then Paul wants us to make sure we understand it. He says, so too at the present time there is this remnant that's been chosen by grace. Now what's Paul talking about? If you had gone throughout the Roman Empire in the first century, you would have found Jews living throughout the Roman Empire. I mean, literally from the very far west, all the way over, all the way into Babylon, all the way, in fact, into parts of India. I mean, the Jews had literally been scattered all over the place. And the numbers of the Jews at that time would have probably been, and of course, this is a guess different scholars will come up with different names but but it's thought that there were between 6 7 million Jews in the world at that time now you need to realize that there weren't billions of people back then you know the number of people living in the world would have amounted to the you know maybe hundreds of millions but not even a billion i don't know even how large that number would have been But somewhere around six, seven million of them are Jews. Now, again, remember who the Jews are. Jews are simply Israelites that had shortened the name of their tribe. You see, they had taken the name Jew because most of them were from the tribe of Judah. Okay? And so Judah, people kind of took that name. It's like what we do. We call ourselves Americans. We also call ourselves Tennesseans, right? We're, we're from a smaller state in America. Well, that's what the Jews were. They called themselves Jews because they were from Judah, but it becomes such a common name that most people of Israelite descent call themselves that. Paul called himself a Jew. He wasn't from the tribe of Judah. He's from the tribe of Benjamin, but he still called himself a Jew. And so here's all of these Jews, but Paul says of these six or seven million Jews, only a small number very small number, a remnant of them, are going to be saved. Why? Because of the same problem God had experienced with his people from day one. I mean, so many of them got caught up in the world they were living in that they had abandoned the God who had created them through Abraham. And so Paul's saying, at least there's a number of them who, who, as he says here, have been chosen by grace, who are responding to this gospel that Jesus has brought And so when John came, John the Baptist came to prepare the Jewish nation for the coming Messiah in the hopes that this remnant would be gathered together to form the core of what would become the kingdom of God. Notice the language here. This is Mark 1. So John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, trying to get the Jewish people to change. That's the whole purpose of John coming. Let's get the Jewish people to repent and to show that repentance by being baptized unto repentance for the remission of sins. Now, that was a controversial act in and of itself. You see, the the priest over in Jerusalem didn't like the fact that John was out here baptizing people For the remission of sins. You see, according to the Old Testament, remission of sins comes through offering sacrifices. You sin, you offer a lamb. You sin, you offer a goat. You sin, you offer doves or pigeons. You don't go and get immersed in water. And so when John showed up on the scene, everybody's like, now wait a minute. Where are you getting this teaching from? And of course the answer is directly from God. But he had a hard time convincing them of that. He later on, notice here in Matthew chapter 3, explained why. Repent, for God's kingdom is here. It's it's, it's at the door. It's knocking. It's, it's, It's fixing to be ushered in by the Messiah. And so John is preparing everybody for the coming of Jesus. And then, of course, Jesus comes. Jesus is baptized by John. And what's fascinating is, as those people who had gathered around John were there, Jesus happened to walk by one day after his baptism. And John sees him and John calls him, look, the Lamb of God. And two of John's disciples follow Jesus. Now we know from the context that those two are John and Andrew. And John, of course, is going to pull in James, his brother. Andrew is going to go get Simon, his brother. But the key word here is that word, they follow Jesus. It becomes a phrase that's used in fact throughout John's Gospel notice here the next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee and finding Philip someone else who had evidently been a disciple of John he finds Philip and says to him you follow me Philip goes and finds Nathaniel you got to come we found the Messiah who Jesus of Nazareth nothing good can come out of Nazareth come and see And of course, Nathaniel, as best as we can tell, is is the disciple who becomes known by his other name, Bartholomew. And so slowly, Jesus begins a process of of bringing the remnant of Israel together because it's out of this small core of people that God's going to launch his ultimate kingdom. it's important to understand that. Now, again, notice the mission of Jesus at this point in time. Is to the Jews. You know, we say Jesus came to die for the sins of the world. He did. But while he walked the earth, he focused on the Jews only. In fact, one of the things that's fascinating about the Gospels is how focused on just this one group of people he is. Now, you might be thinking, why would he focus just on the Jews? Because they're the descendants of his people. Being God, God had chosen Abraham some 2,000 years earlier. And through Abraham, God had established this kingdom of Israelites that the Jews are a part of. And God had worked through them for 2,000 years. They're his people. In fact, John would say it this way in John chapter 1. Jesus came to his own. But his own didn't receive him, at least all except for the remnant. And so you see Jesus focusing first on his people. One of the things I love in John's gospel is that John gives this little brief picture into Jesus' relationship with Abraham prior to his being incarnated. Jesus would say to the disciples, or excuse me, to the Jewish leaders, he said, Abraham longed to see my day and saw it and rejoiced. I mean, there was something of a relationship pre incarnate between Jesus and Abraham. And Jesus loved his descendants. And so he reached out first to them. One of the things that's fascinating about as he's reaching out to the remnant, the first thing is is that he invited and welcomed everyone. If you are a descendant of Abraham, Jesus was calling you. Now, not everybody responded, but boy, he was doing his best to reach them. He goes up into Galilee, and here's two fishermen, Peter and Andrew. He had already met them down by the Jordan River. A lot of times if you're reading Matthew and Mark, you kind of get confused because, you know, Jesus walks along the Sea of Galilee. Here's the two brothers fishing. He looks at them and says, follow me. And they're just kind of mysteriously like a bunch of zombies get out of their boat and follow Jesus. They had met Jesus. They knew who Jesus was. They had spent time with him down with John the Baptist. So when Jesus calls them, they know who he is. They know what he's calling them to. And yet, here he goes and he grabs these two fishermen, along with James and John, who's fishing beside them. We're told about the story of his calling of of Matthew. This is a picture from The Chosen. I love the episode in The Chosen of The Calling of Matthew. It's one of my favorites in the entire series. Matthew's a tax collector, tax collector in Capernaum. Knew probably who Peter, Andrew, James, and John was. Probably was not on good speaking terms with them. By the way, do you like the people you have to pay taxes to? You ever thought about that? You're like, well, I don't hate them. Depends on how much they ask you to pay, right? I mean, here's guys who are like, wow, these are tax collectors. The problem with people like Matthew is that Matthew's a Jew. But he's working for the enemy, the Romans. And yet Jesus calls him. One of the most amazing stories in Scripture. He goes through Samaria and he meets a woman at a well. And the Samaritans are are partially Jewish. They they had been the people who had been left after the tribes had been scattered among the Assyrians. And and Gentiles had been brought in and they intermarried. And it produced this group of people who's part Jewish or part Israelite. And they're part Gentile. And yet they're descendants of Abraham. Abraham. And Jesus goes and he speaks to a woman at a well, a woman who is about as far away from Abraham as you could get. At least we would have put her that way. She'd been married five times, she was now living with a man. I mean, her life was an absolute wreck. And yet Jesus reaches out in love and is the first person that Jesus says, I am the Messiah too. Remarkable story. And then, of course, you have others. I I love this text here. Not only guys, but other women, like the woman at the well. Notice here, the twelve were with him, but also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Can I ask you an odd question? How did the inspired writers know that there were seven demons? You ever thought about that? I mean, did Mary know that? I mean, if you were demon-possessed, did you know how many demons were in you? I mean, how, how would you know that? And my guess is Jesus knew it. And Jesus probably said to Mary, you ain't going to believe this. There were seven of those rascals inside of you. And so she became known as the woman who seven demons had come out of. There was Joanna, the wife of Cusa, the manager of Herod's household. You had some very important people following Jesus. Susanna and many others, they're following Jesus. Why? Because he's welcoming everyone. And then, of course, the 12. Fascinating group of guys. I mean, when Jesus calls them, I think we get so used to knowing about the apostles, the 12. Of course we know who they are. Do we really? And why did Jesus call 12 of them? By the way, we all know their names, right? Join with me in the song. Jesus called them. No, not joking. But isn't that the way you learned it? I mean, Blake, that's the way I learned it. To this day if someone says give me the 12 apostles I start singing. You know, Jesus called them one by one, Peter, Andrew, James and John, Philip and Bartholomew, doubting Thomas and Matthew. I mean, that's the way you do it. By the way, when I'm trying to figure out the alphabet, I go A B C D E F G. I still do that. You know, I mean, singing helps you learn a lot of things. But what's fascinating about this group of guys is we know a lot of them, Peter, Andrew, brothers, James, John, brothers. But one of the fascinating, uh, or two of the fascinating ones, is Matthew, the one we talked about a while ago, and a guy by the name of Simon the Zealot. And it's always called Simon the Zealot. Which is the inspired writer saying is, listen, you want to know who Jesus called to be the most intimate of his followers? Two of them are the most bitterest of enemies. You see, Matthew is a betrayer of the Jewish people. He's working for the Roman government. Simon is a zealot. Zealots were assassins. These were guys who had been trained that if you cooperate with Rome, they're going to kill you. They would go to the temple with a knife up their sleeve called a sicarii. And if they saw you in any way supporting the Roman government, they would take this knife out, ease up next to you, and you were dead. I am glad the church doesn't have Sakari. If we did, I wouldn't say, June and I are greeting back here this morning. I wouldn't do that. I mean, you never know who's going to show up, right? And I've got to believe that the first night that, that Simon stayed with the apostles, that Matthew slept with one eye open. I mean, this guy is his bitter enemy. And yet Jesus somehow says, no, you both are part of the remnant he sends them out and what's fascinating about sending them out we call it the limited commission and it's found here in Matthew 10 because he does basically the same thing to them that he, that he did in his own ministry he says do not go among the Gentiles or any enter, any town of the Samaritans they say well Jesus had entered yes Jesus did but right now he's telling the Apostles don't you go verse six rather to the lost sheep of Israel and you proclaim this message God's gathering the remnant. God's kingdom is here. And so notice that intense focus that they had. What was Jesus' mission? Initially, it was to the children of Israel. And the 12 in many ways. I don't know if you ever thought about why 12. And the answer is, by this time, the tribes of Israel had been scattered. I don't know that you could have found anyone from Ephraim. I don't know if any descendants of Dan existed. You had a few from different tribes. We read of some of them in the New Testament. Most were from the tribe of Judah, some from the tribe of Benjamin, and then, like I said, a scattered one from time to time. But most of the tribes had dissolved. They didn't exist anymore. And Jesus comes and says it's time to reconstitute Israel. So he chooses 12. And anyone in the first century would have immediately thought, Oh, 12 kind of like if something had happened to the United States and we said, okay, we're going to begin and first thing we're going to do is we're going to start 50 communities of people. Ah! Just like the 50 states of the United States, that's right. And so he begins to reconstitute Israel around these 12 guys. And what's fascinating is that when you get to Acts 2, one of the things you find, again that text over in Deuteronomy, but if you'll seek me If from wherever you're scattered, you'll seek me. With all your heart, with all your soul, you'll find me. And you turn to Acts chapter 2, and Luke, through inspiration, says, guess what? On Pentecost, what did God do? Look at the language up there. Now, they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. It was Pentecost. And Jews had traveled from all over the world. Why? Because they're coming in order to observe Pentecost not knowing that they're going to be invited now to become part of the remnant of God. Now, how many thousands? I don't know. It's often said that Jerusalem would swell, normal population, maybe 60,000, would swell to as many as 120,000. So perhaps as many as 60,000 foreigners had come into the city. And of course, the number who were baptized that day were only 3,000. A remnant. A small but significant remnant. As God continued to call his people. The second thing I love is that he provided undeniable proof that he, who he was, and and who had sent him. I mean, as he's calling this remnant, how did they know who he was? And of course, one of my favorite stories is that of of Jesus and Nicodemus. Again, picture here from the Chosen, where Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night and, and they talk. And the first thing Nicodemus says to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who's come from God. For no one could perform the signs you're doing if God were not with him. You go back to that Isaiah 61 text. The Spirit of the Lord is on him. And what will the Spirit of the Lord do? He'll set the captives free, but he'll also open the eyes of the blind. And as he sends out the twelve, guess what he gives them? Same power. He calls the twelve, gave them authority to drive out impure uh, spirits, to heal every disease, proclaim the kingdom of heaven has come near. All the same message Jesus is proclaiming. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons, go out there and prove you are proclaiming the message of God by doing the things that you're going to do. And let me just say this. God still works through us today. To help prove. I mean, the very thing we did with the buckets for Ukraine screams out to the world. Here's a group of people that's trying to make a difference in the world. The third thing, is he does, is that no one in Israel is beyond the reach of Jesus' love. That's one of the things that I love about, especially Luke's gospel. Is Luke tells a story after story of people that the average rabbi would have passed by and had nothing to do with them. But not Jesus. They're descendants of Abraham. They need to be received. You turn over to Luke chapter 7, you have a story of a woman who hears Jesus is in the village. He's at the house of Simon, a Pharisee, and and they're in there eating as this Pharisee is trying to figure out who Jesus is. And, And this woman comes in off the street, and Jesus is reclining at the table. Back then, they didn't eat like we do sitting at a table in a chair, they literally reclined on pillows. You know, on small couches. And so for those of you who love to take your plate, go sit down on the couch or lay down on the couch and watch TV, you're doing it the way Jesus did. Okay, I just want you to know that. Have a hard time getting that across to June. But hey, you know, that's the way Jesus ate. And so Jesus is laying there, his feet's away from the table because they had dirty feet back then. In fact, the text is very clear. Jesus had come into Simon's house and Simon had not washed his feet. So Jesus is there with dirty feet, and all at once this woman comes up to Jesus. She knows who he is, she knows what he's doing, she knows how kind he is. She just starts weeping, her tears are falling on his feet. She then bends over, takes her hair down, begins to wipe his feet, begins to put perfume and to kiss his feet. And the whole time Simon's going, This guy can't be a prophet. Because if he if he was, he'd know what kind of woman she is. She's a sinner. And of course, what I think Jesus wanted to say is, I know exactly what kind of woman she is. She's a daughter of Abraham. And Simon, you don't care. To whom much has been forgiven, they love much. And to those who have been forgiven, they love little. And he's just really trying to point out Simon's sin. And then you have a story in Luke chapter 8. story of Jesus crossing over to a land called Gadarenes, and there in this land is a man who's demons possessed very much like Mary Magdalene was, except with even more demons than she had. And the text says, for a long time this man had not worn clothes, or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. Many times it had seized him, and though he was chained and uh, and, uh, hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken the chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. I mean, you, you begin to read a story of a man who is as hopeless as anybody could be. And Jesus lands, and he comes running toward Jesus. And again, to see someone who's living in tombs, who's 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 just obviously unclean in many, many ways. He, he doesn't wear clothes. No one can bind him. And he runs toward Jesus, falls down at his feet. And Jesus strikes up a conversation, What's your name? Except the name is the name of the demons. We're a legion because we're many. And the text goes on to describe how Jesus cast the demons into the pigs... They took clothes and they clothed this man, a man who said, I want to follow you. And he says, listen, if you want to follow me, here's what I want you to do. Go back home and tell everybody what God's done for you. I mean, you're talking about receiving the most outcast of people. And then, of course, my favorite story. Jesus is going through uh, uh, Jericho and, and, and people are wanting to see the prophet from Galilee. And there's this little bitty short guy named Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus wants to see Jesus, but he can't see him because he's too short. You know, Uh, I've experienced this. You don't know how many times I've experienced this in my life. You know, what are y'all looking at over there? You know, and uh, and and so he does what we all know he does. He goes and gets up in a tree. He's a chief tax collector. He's an older man. And Jesus comes and says, "Zacchaeus, come down. I'm going to spend the day with you." And again, the people are just shocked. He's going to be a guest of a sinner. No, Jesus says, "Today salvation has come to this house because this man is the son of Abraham." Jesus was passionate in reaching out to the Jews. But he also knew that at some point in time, he, he would go beyond the Jews. And that's what I love about a few little glimpses, just little glimpses, as you read through the Gospels. Most of the time he's with Jews. But now and then, a Gentile steps in. You had a woman up in near Sidon called a Canaanite woman, a Syrophoenician woman whose child was demon possessed and she's begging Jesus for help and and Jesus is ignoring her to the point that the disciples come up and they said, Lord, would you send her away? Because she just kept begging and kept begging and kept begging. And of course you read the text and you go, what in the world is going on? Is Jesus this hard-hearted? And you've got to realize that no, Jesus is not hard-hearted. He's trying to teach something to his disciples. They're wanting to send her away. And Jesus is like, no, you need to hear this message. And Jesus finally says to the woman, as she asks for help, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. And you're like, so Jesus is calling her a dog? No, he's using an illustration from people who live with dogs. I mean, I grew up in in Mississippi. We always had a dog outside. And the dog ate what we cleaned the table off. I mean, that's what it ate. You'd clean off the scraps, take it outside, and that's what you'd feed the dog with. That's the same thing they did back then. And and she responds and says, yes, it is, Lord. But even the dog eats the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And, of course, Jesus heals the, the woman's child. But the point he's trying to get across to the apostles is no one's outside the reach of God's grace. No one. And so he would say bluntly to them when he finally got to Jerusalem, I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen, and I've got to bring them in also. And aren't we glad that he did? That's why we're here today. Because he decided to enlarge the sheep pen. To start with Israel, that remnant. But then to invite those from the nations. Those he had always hoped to add to Israel. So that we would all be one. One flock, as he said there, with one shepherd. And so 2,000 years later, guess what? Jesus still in, still invites and welcomes everyone. One of the things I love to say to people here at Hendersonville, join the journey with us. I don't care where you are in the journey. I mean, if you're struggling to even believe that there is a God, if you're, you're wondering, am I an atheist, am I an agnostic? What do I believe about God? Come and join us and explore it with us. We'd love to have you. If you grew up in a different faith tradition, if you don't know exactly whether or not Jesus is the Son of God or, or you believe Jesus is the Son of God, but you've been raised with different views, come and join us and let's study the Bible together. We invite you to join the journey with us. If you feel like, you know what, I've, I've sinned too much. I assure you, you haven't. No one can outsend the grace of God. It's not possible. God still welcomes you. Come and join the journey with us. And Jesus continues to provide undeniable proof of who he is and who has sent him, but he does it now through us. When I see Christian doctors and nurses, when I see Christian educators, when I see Christians of all kinds who are out in the world trying to make the world better, it is simply God's way of saying, see, my son's ministry is still being carried out by my people. And then finally, no one in the world is beyond the reach of Jesus' love. And that's what I want you to know today. I don't know where you are in your life. I don't know if you've heard the call of Jesus, but simply haven't answered. Jesus is still saying to people, Follow me. Come put your faith in me. Come and be baptized, just like he was baptized. Come and start by being baptized for the remission of your sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. And begin the journey with me. If you need to do that, why don't you do that right now? As together we start.